you're about to meet a sophisticated redneck. You probably won't laugh at his attempts at humor, but there's always that draw. I think I see him coming out of that barn over on the far left. And here he is, the Cooth Hillbilly. the Cooth Hillbilly once again. Welcome back. This episode is about everyone's favorite subject. Taxes. Having an income, I'm an expert on taxes just like everyone else. No one wants to pay taxes, but everyone wants the things that governments provide. Do you think we're a bunch of wannabe reloaders? I certainly would never suggest that we always get our money's worth, but at least there are three reasons for that. The first is the size of the population. Wide-ranging responsibilities guarantee something less than perfect efficiency. Next, we have incompetency. However, the biggest factor is us. Politicians know that the way to get elected when re-elected is to promise us anything and everything and cut taxes. Our coterie of politicians may not be the best and brightest, but they know how to keep their seats, although they're supposed to be our seats. So, if we pay so much in taxes, although all other developed countries pay more, why do we score so low on those lists that rank health, education, happiness, poverty, prison population, voter turnout, and other indications of a civilized society? Well, it may be that we're taxed so little. No, not compared to what we get. A major reason is that the corporations and the plutocrats don't pay their fair share. Why do they not carry their own weight? Because they own the ones that decide who pays and what is bought. There are 435 members of the House of Representatives. There are 100 members of the Senate. At my last count of the pharmaceutical industry, they had 635 lobbyists on Capitol Hill. And that does not include those working in various agencies and departments in Washington or those working at the state level. Is that why they're the richest industry on earth? Could be. In doing research for a book a few years back, I discovered that of the Fortune 500, 10 drug corporations made more profits than the other 490 corporations combined. And they weren't the 10 largest corporations out of that 500 either. For every tax cut, we hear the promise that it will pay for itself by juicing the economy. Has that ever happened? There are folks who claim to despise big government. Can you name a Republican administration that left office smaller than when it began? Don't waste any time researching that. The answer is an emphatic no. Reagan, also known as St. Ronnie, tripled the debt. Bush Sr. only had one term, but he increased it significantly. Junior only doubled it. We were told that cutting taxes on corporations and the wealthy would create jobs. They would take the money and invest more lives. After you and I gave the banks and others their welfare benefits back in 08 and 09, the banks and the major corporations were sitting on about $2.2 trillion each. The banks gave out bigger bonuses than ever before, but their lending dropped sharply. 
Corporations mostly used it to buy back stocks. That reduced the number of shareholders they had to share the profits with. So it made a few people richer. Instead of using their own funds, the banks went to the government, borrowed money at 0% interest, and bought government bonds that paid 1% or 2%. That's not that much, but there's absolutely no risk. So with no risk, basically it was free money. And they didn't have to bother with any risk by loaning it out. Don't forget, the theory behind capitalism is that you are rewarded for risk. However, these paragons of capitalism do everything they can to avoid risk. Risk is reserved for you and me. Are there no general advantages to tax cuts? Barely, but only to the extent that they go to the middle and lower income workers. Of course, 83% of the last tax cut went to the top 1%. More went to corporations. I hope you didn't waste yours on anything frivolous. A recession is merely a lack of adequate monies flowing through the economy. You and I don't have enough money to choose the economy. The banks and corporations do, but they prefer to avoid risk and sit on their piles. My apology for such a pun. That leaves the government. The easy way is the better way. Put more money in the hands of the middle and lower income people. We spend it. That's not always good, however. Much of it will be spent on imports. The best way to spend such funds is investing in our future. Infrastructure would be a great investment. Increasing the debt for that is good and proper. It's called investing. But we should pay it back when the economy has regained its strength. The politicians don't do that. They increase the debt with more cuts and unnecessary wars. You know, the ones against helpless countries with non-existent weapons of mass destruction or similar ones. Once upon a time, the tax code made sense. I'm sure all of my listeners remember the 1940s, 50s, and most of the 60s. Think Republican. Think Eisenhower. You know, the one who gave us the interstate system. To grossly simplify it, say that your first $10,000 are untaxed. Then the next 10000 are taxed at 10%, maybe the next 30000 at 20%. For 2020, the top bracket was 37% on the income above 518400 or $622,050 for couples filing jointly. Now, you don't pay 37% on all of your income, just on that above that half million plus, those last numbers. Above that is known as the marginal rate. Care to take a guess what the marginal rate was in the Republican Eisenhower administration? 91%. Now, when Romney was running for president, he released his returns. He was paying 8%. What was the effect of that 91% marginal rate? Well, during the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, the country experienced the most dynamic economy of its entire history. How? Why? Say your lifestyle requires that first half million, but your income is two, three, or ten million. What are you going to do with the rest of it? Romney built an elevator for his car. That didn't exactly create a multitude of careers. Why would you risk those millions if the government is going to let you keep 92% or more? But if the government's going to take 91% if you don't do anything with it, why not risk it and try to build wealth instead of income? The corporations had essentially the same factors to consider. 
investment soared. There were a couple of other factors. The unions were strong and workers actually shared in the wealth. The middle class grew. The middle class had money to spend on buying the output of those investments. Reagan declared war on the unions and corporations quit sharing the benefits of ever-increasing productivity. All of that increased wealth went to the officers and shareholders. So household income reached its peak in 1974. Most of the households at that time got by on one member being employed at one job. Reagan hired Arthur Lapper as the main man for his economics. Arthur gave us the Laffer Curve and supply-side economics, otherwise known as tinkle-down economics. You can say trickle, but I say tinkle. Why am I placing the blame on Reagan if 1974 was the peak and he took office in January of 81? Well, in 1973 and 74, we had to deal with the first oil embargoes. The price of oil quadrupled that year. There was another one in 1979. They put a temporary damper on the economy. Ronnie came in and gave us a permanent one. The ones screaming the loudest about the size of the debt are the ones that created most of it. If I gave you a credit card and told you that you had no limits and you would never have to pay it back, you could throw one hell of a party, one that seemingly would never end. That's why people remember the years of the Reagan administration fondly. They just failed to connect that to the tripling of the debt for some unnecessary wars and an administration so incompetent and corrupt that there were 138 convictions for crimes and perhaps another found guilty of ethics violations. Well, that's the Republican idol. Please don't tell any of the Republicans that I blaspheme St. Lonnie. When it comes to confidence and ethics, I'm at a loss to understand why voters elect people who proudly proclaim their hatred for the government. There's a considerable overlap. Even a person that is honest and competent is not going to put forth great effort to make the government work for the people if he or she despises the very concept of government. I published a book on health issues back in 2007, five months before the advent of Kimball. It was the result of research over a period of 14 years. Barlow was by a professor at Vanderbilt. I'm going to use numbers from that book rather than research it all over again. What about the cost of universal health care? Private insurance companies have never cured anyone or saved a life. Just the opposite has happened when they have denied coverage for a pre-existing condition or any other excuse that they could conjure up. The average health insurance corporation took 20 to 32% off the top of what you paid for profit, marketing, and administration. CMS is the largest buyer of medical goods and services in the world. They pay the bills for Medicare, Medicaid, child health care, Indian health services. They obviously have the benefits of scale, and they don't have to spend your money on profits, marketing, lobbying, and such. When I published my book, CMS spent 1.8% on administration. I've heard that it's dropped to 1.5%. Some other countries with universal health care spend 4 to 8%. Canada is the highest at 11%. Can you see the savings and the difference between that and 30 to 32%? If you receive a paycheck, you shell out 15.3% to up to a maximum of 137700 annually. It's listed as FICA. It pays for Social Security and Medicare. Politicians of a certain party try to scare you 
that both programs are going to go bankrupt soon. If those making more than 37700 paid on their entire income, that would not be of concern. By the way, those taxes are not part of the budget. Politicians are lying to you when they say that you need to balance the budget by cutting entitlement programs. Well, the reason they're called entitlement programs is because you are entitled to them because you paid that money into the trust funds for your entire working life. One more little tidbit. Who's the largest buyer of our public debt? Is it China? Ah. Is it Saudi Arabia? No. Then who? You and me. The Social Security and Medicare trust funds are the biggest owners of our debt. It's funny to hear politicians speak of our obligation to pay back China and Saudis, but never mention paying us back. Since it's our money, we should be first in line. But guess what? A couple of congressmen have actually admitted that there is no intention of paying back those trust funds. They want Medicare and Social Security to go belly up. Back to universal health care. If you don't like the idea of paying more taxes for health insurance, I understand. But if we had universal health care, instead of paying premiums to cover that 32% to take off the top, then you pay the same amount as taxes as you do now for those premiums, everyone, everyone could be covered and enjoy a Cadillac version of Medicare, not just the bare-bones version we have now. It could add coverage for eyeglasses, hearing aids, dental, and more. If it's the same amount coming out of the same pocket but called by a different name, is that a problem? Alternatively, some of the savings could reduce what you pay. Another waste of our tax dollars is the military. Do we really need to spend more money than the next eight or ten countries combined? Do we really need to have active duty troops stationed in 150 foreign countries? Congress keeps funding planes and ships and tanks that the Pentagon says they neither want nor need. Why? Pay back to the military-industrial complex corporations for the the bribes. Remember, Eisenhower warned us about that complex. It was also a neat mechanism producing the economy when you could scare us with that big, bad communist ogre. They have to be more creative now with wars on drugs, terrorism, foreigners in general. World wars, such as one and two of the last century, are now almost unthinkable. It's a truism that generals always fight the last war. It always takes them time to make the necessary adjustments. There are asymmetrical wars all over all the time. They don't require supersonic fighters and more aircraft carriers. How many wars have we won since World War II? Korea? No. Vietnam? No. Iraq? No. Syria? No. Afghanistan? No. Somalia? No. Yemen by proxy? No. It's still going on, but we're not winning. We're just killing people. Oh, we did win win one war. Barely. Back in 1983, Reagan was in need of some good PR. He was concerned about Cuban influence in Grenada. So he invaded. Always relying on incompetence, he left it in the hands of some loose cannon named Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, maybe you remember. North was later famous for handling the Iran-Contra affair. Anyway, back to the subject at hand. Universal health care, repairing the infrastructure, bettering our schools, and a laundry list of other wants and needs 
are crushable. But with a bunch of unethical incompetence and criminals who think the government is the problem with playing political games, they need to look in the mirror. Before signing off for the day, I need to tell you that the primary reason for Republicans' constant push for tax cuts, they want, as they brag, to starve the beast, restrict the funding for the government, and put incompetence in charge to ensure failure. Since they can't offer better private services, such as the post office or parks or toll roads or prisons or anything else, they need to make it impossible for government to provide acceptable services. Funded by billionaires, led by the Koch brothers and Sam Walton's heirs and major corporate funding, there has been a not-so-well-hidden movement since the 1950s to eliminate Medicare, Social Security, all public education, private highways, unemployment insurance, and a few other niceties of civilized countries. They want the government to retain the military and police forces. They admit that those will require more funding because of the expected unrest both here and abroad. They say that they want to get government off their backs, but they seem obsessed with getting them on our backs and in our bedrooms. Regardless of any claims, they have a hidden agenda, one that never works to your and my advantage. Conservatism is a con game. Conservatism ain't right. Well, now that I've ruined your mood, let's call it a day. Thanks for stopping by, and y'all come back now, yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming by and listening to the Couth Hillbilly Podcast. Not to worry, he'll be back, and we hope that you will be too. In the meantime, just run over to CouthHillbilly.com and subscribe. That's C-O-U-T-H Hillbilly.com. That way you'll be certain to never miss an episode. Stay safe.